Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome to episode 89. I'm back in the home studio on the good mic. So the audio should be better. And don't forget to turn me up to 1.5x if you want to avoid some of the pauses and just get through the content faster. Going to start with InfoSec news. A serious flaw in CAN bus has been discovered that allows an attacker to locally connect to a vehicle and take critical systems offline. And this includes components like the airbags, the brakes, and all sorts of other components like that. So the way the attack works is by basically spamming error messages to the system, which CAN bus basically has a system that says if it receives too many of those messages, it basically takes out that component. So it's basically a flood of error messages that causes denial of service for a specific subsystem. The good news is that you have to be local. You have to be locally connected or otherwise have some direct access to Canbus to carry out the attack. The bad news is that there isn't actually a fix for this other than fixing the specification for Canbus itself. And of course, that would involve having that update to Canbus propagate through the purchase of new cars, basically. So basically an entire generation of cars after the specification were updated. Uh, that's basically what we would have to wait for. So pretty serious flaw. Good news is that it's local, but it would be pretty difficult to fix. Cyber Command has been elevated in stature, and it is one step closer to potentially separating from the NSA and or becoming its own branch of the military. I would love for it to become its own branch, actually, um, and I think it's fitting for it to do so. Because the other branches, other than the Marines, are organized by physical attack surface, right? So you have air, land, and sea. And cyber isn't any of those. Also, I hate saying cyber. I don't know when I'll get used to that, but it's not today. So having its own branch, I think, would also be a good thing because it would help people take it seriously. Um, in terms of like staffing, budget, and most importantly, recruiting. Apple is adding an option in iOS 11. Some people are calling cop mode to disable touch ID, supposedly so that law enforcement cannot demand that you unlock your phone with your fingerprint. Evidently, there are a bunch of laws that basically say it's illegal for police or law enforcement to ask you to enter a passcode but it's okay for them to require you to authenticate via touch. So Apple is making it so that you can disable this if you're crossing a border or you, you know, just plan on being uh, picked up for some reason. The U.S. Army is looking to use biometric wearables to provide continuous authentication for warfighters. This is something I've been writing about for a while under the sort of header of like continuous authentication. 
and I've got a couple links there. Researchers have found a way to use sonar to determine what a person is doing inside of their own home, basically. And this includes potentially like walking around, like watching TV, uh, having sex, whatever. The method of broadcasting the sound, though, is through a malicious Android app. So I think it takes a bit of the sting out of it, because if you can get someone to install a malicious Android app, you could probably do a lot of things to them. 50% of ex-employees can still access the corporate apps for the company they just came from. This comes down to asset management and deprovisioning, which again, it's basics, it's fundamentals. We're not good at those things. We can't really have nice things, right? Same story over and over. And for patching, you want to look at your Drupal and uh, Cisco APIC systems uh, have had some releases come out that are pretty major. Technology news. <clears throat> Looks like Bill Joy, the author of VI and a Sun Pioneer, may have revolutionized the battery. He's basically found a way to use solids instead of liquids, which is going to massively help lithium ion and then later on alkaline batteries. It looks like a seriously, uh, an actual revolution in battery technology as opposed to just an evolution. And he's actually predicting two to three years for general availability. That seems ambitious to me for any technology, especially something as disruptive as this, but he wrote VI, so I'm going to listen to him. 72% of consumers don't know what net neutrality is. We should really stop thinking the problem is government or corporations or policy when we see a problem in the world. The problem is having a population of idiots. Most problems start and end with the stupidity of the masses. If 72% of people don't know what net neutrality is, how do you expect to win any sort of victory in the legislature, in our representation? Nobody knows what it is. Nobody cares. So we, we get what we deserve. A former Netflix executive has a company called MoviePass, where you basically pay a monthly subscription around $11 or so, I think is what they're shooting for. And then you're allowed to go to one free movie per day for that month at any theater. I think this is kind of one of those great ideas that could never work in this form at least, or at least not at this scale. I think theaters would simply not honor it because they lose too much money or they would think they would lose too much money. Although if they make most of their money actually from food and drinks, maybe there's a possibility of it working. I definitely like to see a version of it that does work. I love subscriptions rather than transactions at the movies. And it also hits you for just a large amount of money for these tickets. Um, I'd much rather pay a recurring subscription. A third fork of Bitcoin is about to happen. Uh, people are predicting it'll be around November. Like the previous fork, it's designed to solve the problem of transactions taking too long to process. But it does so, it basically approaches this in a different way. Instead of having eight megabyte blocks and no segregated witness, which is another solution to this problem, the new fork will have two megabyte blocks and include segregated witness. 
supposedly all three are technically still Bitcoin. Although if one of them sort of drops out of favor and people stop supporting it, it could potentially not be Bitcoin anymore. I find that actually to be the most interesting piece. Like, and I don't know the answers to these questions, but if you buy Bitcoin, you know, which one have you purchased? Do you have to determine that you've bought a, a particular fork? I'm sure many listeners know the answer to that question. If you could hit me up with it, that'd be great. Um, I, I just see all sorts of complications around that. When you have multiple forks, multiple versions, some are popular, some are not, yet you're investing in it. Like, which one are you actually in? People were excited to see that Elon Musk's AI bot defeated top Dota players at the annual international tournament in Seattle. Uh, a bunch of my buddies and myself went. Uh, it was my second time going. It, it was a great tournament, and we actually had a first where a team won 3-0 in the finals. It was uh, Team Liquid. It was really cool. It's, it's a fun time. But uh, this AI story is cool, but it's not as cool as it sounds. So basically, the bot was trained by a human to fight against one other human. So 1v1. The actual game is 5v5. And there's no AI for that yet, or at least not at this level. Um, so the, the computer really only beat one person. And it was trained how to beat people by computers or by humans. And most importantly, most importantly, um, this focuses in on what computers are so good at beating humans at, which is the computer always knew the exact distance it was from the human. It always knew ex the exact timing of all its timeouts, right? So it could perfectly time every single effect. And that's why it was able to beat the human. Uh, that sort of advantage goes away when you're in a much more complex environment like 5v5. So this is definitely a cool breakthrough, but it's nothing like the sort of milestone of a chess win or a go win or beating humans at poker. Not quite at that level yet. Netflix plans on spending $7 billion on original programming next year, which is comes after basically spending... 6 billion in 2016 and 5 billion in 2015. I heard that they have some serious cash problems, but it seems like they're uh, willing to keep spending. Uh, I, guess, I guess following the, if you build it, they will come. It seems like, I mean, they're kind of winning anyway, right? I, I think they do need to probably worry about Amazon, but I imagine their cash problems will go away if they just keep raising the count of users or at least that seems to be their hope. <laughs> and uh, Apple is also looking to spend a bunch of money on original content over the next year. They're putting about a billion dollars in. I've been seeing a bunch of ads for their carpool karaoke stuff. Saw a few people that I'd like to see there. So uh, original content seems to be the game. Human news, Iceland as a country has basically decided that a life with Down syndrome is not worth living. And they are close to eradicating the disorder through abortion. Much of the world is reacting very poorly to this policy, basically calling it eugenics all over again. And the question is, where would you draw that line, right? So deafness, like 
partial blindness. Like, I, I don't know what some other disorders are, but imagine you have this full spectrum of like extremely minor things all the way up to, you know, Down syndrome and far beyond. So, you know, where do you determine where, where that line is? I, I think my personal opinion on this is that I think it's okay for parents to make that choice probably for Down syndrome because it can be so debilitating and, and hard on a child. But I definitely see the problem of, you know, where do you make that distinction and, and how do you draw that line? And is it up to the parents or is it up to the society, the healthcare provider? Like, I don't know, some mix thereof, obviously, but it's uh, not an easy problem. According to a survey by Apartment List, 83% of renters in the Bay Area say they plan on leaving the area. Their top complaints are cost of living and lack of high-paying jobs, which seems quite related to the first one. And a professor at the University of Bonn has proposed a solution to the P not equal to NP problem. But the mathematics community is not even close to accepting it as valid. It'll take a few weeks or months to fully analyze the paper and to arrive at a general consensus on whether or not it will stand. Although the early guesses, the early inputs that I've seen from people are, they're, they're guessing that it will not stand. And I think the result that he came up with was that it was not equal. And I've got a primer on my site for anyone who wants to dive deeper into that. Um, I'll, I'll just say a, a quick word about it. It's, it's all about the difference between being able to find a solution to multiple options versus check if that solution is correct. And that, that's probably not perfectly accurate, but th that's the way I think about it is uh, checking lots and lots of different combinations. And this really applies to cryptography, right? Where you, you have the concept of brute force or covering a key space. So the one problem is checking all the different options. The other problem is seeing for any given solution that is offered, seeing if that solution is correct. Now, if these were to be equally difficult, then it would revolutionize so many things in computing, including cryptography. But if they are fundamentally disconnected, then you know we'd still have some defense and that would be big for the math world. Uh, the problem is we only have experimental sort of um, ideas about this. We don't, there's no proof to say that it is one way or the other. And that's what this paper is proposing to have found the answer to. We look to be closing in on a solution to peanut allergies. I hope this works for adults too. The research was on uh, basically giving immunity to children, but I, I hope it works for adults as well. There's a particular human I worry about, about this. Uh, named Sunshine, and uh, she always has to worry about, you know, going into restaurants and not having peanuts within like four zip codes of where her food is being cooked. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this will come to the masses soon. Hezbollah is differentiating from ISIS in a very clear way. They're taking the high road and denouncing ISIS for the Barcelona attacks saying that attacking civilians is against Islam and that true Muslims would not support such tactics. Whether it's just marketing or, you know, it's actually what they believe, I don't really 
care either way. I, I would prefer that it's actually their core beliefs, but I'm happy to see this development. I think, uh, I hate to be thinking in this way, but you watch enough like L2 Inc. and you start thinking about brand differentiation. I think this is great brand differentiation, right? Because it's, everyone's tired of ISIS. Like Muslims are tired of ISIS, Western people, everyone's tired of ISIS. And it's so clear that it is pure, unadulterated evil. And, you know, for a group that has been criticized in the past to come out on the opposite side for tolerance and moderation and, you know, not attacking civilians not being okay, I, I think is great. And maybe they're not going as far as tolerance and moderation, but at least against civilians. So I, I think that's a, a great development. Ideas. <clears throat> The Problem with Statues of People is an essay I just wrote. It's about how people's lives, especially important people's lives, um, are basically locked into time. They live in a time, they behave according to a time, and then they are immortalized with statues if they are prominent enough and lucky enough. So they get a statue. Um, but unfortunately, society continues to evolve after their death and after the statue is put up. So after you know, 50 years, 150 years, whatever, a thousand years. Suddenly, if you look at their life through the lens of the current society, they start to look pretty primitive and backward. Um, there's also an issue, a separate issue of great people basically having uh, flaws. And I would even argue, and I haven't done any studies on this or anything, but I would argue that the more great you are, the more likely you are to have some kind of crazy flaw or, or weakness or whatever. And um, I give some examples in here, you know, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, George Washington, just a whole bunch of people who we kind of universally accept as great people. If you look into their backgrounds, I mean, Gandhi hated black people. Uh, Martin Luther King like plagiarized his dissertation and, you know, was a known adulterer. Uh, George Washington owned slaves. Like you could just keep going down the line for so many great people. Uh, Clinton, I, you could potentially argue that Clinton was a great person, uh, known adulterer, liar, uh, lots of uh, examples of this, right? And the question is really, and I've written other pieces about this as well. The question is, when does a negative outweigh a positive? Right. For certain things, you know, argue, arguably the Confederacy, you know, uh, Hitler, um, Columbus, for certain things like the fact that, you know, Hitler had an art collection that doesn't make him a great person. Right. Why? Because he did horrible things that that clearly outclass it. Right. And um, same with Columbus. Yeah. Columbus found someone else's island. Um, he was the first in a little while to find someone else's island. Like he wasn't even the first Westerner or European to find it. it. It's like it happened not too, you know, far in the past from when he did it. So he shows up and uh, hands out some some blankets to, to kill a bunch of people or whatever. And uh, but when I grew up, I was taught that he was just the coolest thing ever. This island had never been discovered. It was brand new ground. Not sure why there were people there already. 
And he was just like this total God. And now that's being undone through knowledge and evolution of our society. So the question is, when you apply this scrutiny to people, you know, which flaws overturn which types of greatness, right? To me, Gandhi has an extraordinary amount of greatness that would have to be overcome by whatever flaws. Um, same with Martin Luther King, right? He plagiarizes dissertation. Does that count against him starting or, or contributing greatly to the start of the civil rights movement? I don't think so, but that's me subjectively saying that. So anyway, I don't have answers. I, I only have the uh, sort of proposition that we should be asking this question more often. The Bay Area is separated into red and green zones. So something I just wrote last night, it's about basically the Bay Area being poverty stricken, essentially, and run down and really quite sad um, when you think about it. I, I mean, I was born and raised here. I, I drive around a lot and listen to audiobooks. And it's sort of really stark to go from an, a neighborhood that is really nice and drive three minutes and be, you know, almost in a third world country in terms of uh, the infrastructure, garbage on the streets, potholes, uh, no bookstores. Um, the, the, the businesses that are there are check cashing shops and title loans and th this type of stuff. Just a lot of sadness, a lot of alcohol and tobacco sales. Um, yeah, just just kind of really, really sad stuff. And then you go into the next area and it's another little tech, you know, Mecca area or a tiny little ecosystem there. And suddenly it's all bookstores, coffee shops. You know, the infrastructure looks really nice. People are vibrant and happy and energetic. Whereas in the poor areas, people are just kind of like zombies, like drifting from job to job, you know, working constantly, not making anything for money. And the separation is just becoming really stark. And I, I wrote about this many years ago in some sort of post, like had like red and green zones in the title. There was another one I wrote about uh, alphas and betas and like the difference in uh, classes and how you're raising children. And I, and I just see that sort of happening in the Bay Area. So I wrote about that last night. Um, this next one, the enemy is a mafia, a mafia, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but um, it is basically this idea from Socrates that the, the core of all evil, I'm not sure you put it in that, that strong, but basically the, a central component of evil is the lack of wisdom or the presence of ignorance. So it's basically your lack of education or the presence of a, of a negative education, basically pollutes you with this ignorance and that's and it causes you to hold on to flawed beliefs. Um, I obviously subscribe to this quite a bit. I think things like doubting global warming, doubting evolution, uh, believing in religion uh, often takes you in the direction of believing additional really negative things and makes you more willing to and likely to believe garbage that's pitched to you by whoever, and uh, ultimately leads to pain and suffering for people. So 
I'm a huge fan of this. Um, I also write about a danger though, right? Because when I hear about someone else being stupid, I have a picture of what that looks like and it's the opposite of me, right? Well, that's awfully convenient, right? Because I got friends in Tennessee who don't believe in evolution, believe that God is the answer to fixing America, uh, believe you should buy more guns, and they believe that the worst possible thing you can have is this stupid secular America that I want. So we both look in the same mirror and we both see opposite things, like fingers pointing at each other. So it's very subjective. Um, so I, I think all the work is still in front of us if we try to say that ignorance is the problem. Because what does ignorance mean, right? It's it's the opposite of whatever you believe. That's what it really means. Unless we can find some sort of objective truth, which I believe does sort of exist or can exist within the context of a enlightened uh, people. But my friends also believe that and they think it's the opposite of what I think it is. So it's a interesting word and I, I plan on using it, but it's, uh, it's not as powerful as I think people think it might be. A uh, great lesson on how hard it is to predict technologies based on analysis of 20 years of hype cycles. This is great. It's actually got some takeaways in here. It's like, you know, uh, like one through 10 takeaways or something. And it's really strong. It's basically about being humble in your predictions because it's really hard to predict things, which is interesting because I just wrote a book predicting some things. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they won't turn out to be wrong. I, I think the fundamentals will will hold true. Um, the specifics I hope would be true, but could very much fall prey to this exact thing in this article. I'm secretly happy about the HBO breach. Yeah. So it's not because I dislike HBO or that I enjoy Game of Thrones spoilers. It's because I want the world to understand that hackers will come for what you value as a person or what you value as a company. And they won't necessarily came, come for what they came for when they attack someone else or what they come for when they attack you before, right? This is something I try to explain to my customers at work. Basically, you have to figure out what you have that that's valuable to others, right? And that, that could mean you going away. That could mean you losing some IP. It could mean lots of different things. And you have to figure out what that is before you start prioritizing what you're going to do for defense. Discovery, Rob Graham, the original author of Black Ice and the person who sold that company to ISS, which was then bought by IBM, is going to rewrite the software and open source it. This is like my favorite program in college when I was first getting started in security. I would love to see an open source version of it and I look forward to it. Got a nice, well-documented write-up on reverse engineering a smart LED bulb. The three steps to becoming an AWS security specialist. Childless seniors are being adopted by families. That's a cool article. Can you manage a company in the future using just blockchain? That evidently is being proposed by some folks. Some defenses against robocallers. This is some really smart advice from New York Times about what you could do to defend yourself. 
And a couple of tools, Spiderfoot 2.11 has been released. It's an OSINT framework. It's a major release with six new modules and new data sources as well. And Bloodhound, which uses graph theory to reveal the hidden and often unintended relationships within an Active Directory environment. Although I have a friend who works at a very large company who says <clears throat> there are issues with it scaling with extremely large AD networks. So uh, notes, I'm currently reading this book called The Fourth Turning. It is absolutely blowing my mind. It is so fantastic. It's a book about constantly repeating cycles in the United States that affected population, politics, and innovation, tons of other stuff. It was written in 1998, <clears throat> and it basically makes predictions that have evidently largely come through. I haven't got to that part yet, um, about the fourth turning. So basically it says that there are fourth, four turnings in a cycle and that we are currently in the fourth, but it was written during the third, which was, you know, late nineties. And I, it's already changing how I view sort of the world and, and, and cycles and structures and different generations and what they believe. And I actually bought uh, another book that they wrote called Generations, which is about just, you know, the people and how the different people are different based on what generation they came from. But uh, so much of what I heard so far is, is crazy resonating with me, which always sort of sets off my spidey sense because I start to worry about bias and, you know, people seeing what they want to see in something. So I am going to do some retrospective analysis and do, do a bunch of find examples of where the counters came true, uh, just to make sure I'm, I'm being sort of uh, objective about this. But um, I think these authors are seriously onto something and I can't wait to see what the predictions were for the fourth turning. But the fourth turning is basically a crisis. And uh, I, I think we're in a crisis. Now, that's easy to say, but they actually give a lot of specifics. So uh, you should definitely check this book out. It's rated very highly. Um, and I've got a link here. So uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Um, and I created some basic stats around snort and bro events on my server for my site. And I put those up in a link uh, for a blog post. And I'm already using Spark as my main email client. I don't use mail on iOS or macOS, but I am excited to try Superhuman, which is evidently like this totally badass um, email client. Uh, supposedly they're trying to get under the 100 millisecond rule, which is uh, when you humans basically don't notice a delay at all whatsoever. And uh, so it's supposed to be an email client that's just, you know, super death god fast. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to try, trying it out. I didn't like tweet to raise my, uh, my rank in the queue. I, I might do, still do that, but I'm on the waiting list. Recommendations for this week. The Fourth Turning, the book I just talked about. Definitely go read this. And the next one is about sleep. So sleep is so incredibly important to us. And I think most people don't realize that a bad mattress could be keeping you from doing it well. And as I'm reading this first sentence, I'm like, am I writing an infomercial? Like this sounds horrible, horrible setup, but 
Luckily, I'm not, so you should still listen. So if you aren't sleeping on a premium mattress that you've replaced within the last 10 years, and I actually meant to tell a bunch of my friends this. I actually have a, an actual index card of friends who I worry are not sleeping well enough, and I'm about to go give them the same exact pitch. Uh, you're probably far less happy and productive than you could be. Um, me and my girl, we're actually about to replace ours. We've had, we have a really good mattress, but we've had it for like 10 years. And um, Bat on, um, on Twitter, she actually just started a thread saying, hey, I've tried all these high-end mattresses and I didn't like them. What should I use? And then I just sort of followed that thread, which was really good. And then I started just reading a bunch of other links and it seemed like the top two were uh, one called Purple and one called Tuft and Needle. So I think we're going to go try out um, a couple of those like in a showroom or something and replace ours. But the recommendation here is if you don't have a highly rated mattress that you've, that you've replaced within the last decade, absolutely invest in one. You, you will not regret uh, the purchase because if you improve your sleep, you improve your waking time. It's just that simple. Next one here, uh, the eclipse is tomorrow. Seriously, don't stare at the eclipse without some hardcore eye protection. Saw the story about a man who did this in the 1960s and he described the effect which lasted the rest of his life. He basically said that he could see people's faces, but not their noses or their mouths. So basically the center of everything he looked at was blacked out. And he said it took less than 20 seconds for this to happen to him. Um, it, it's basically a giant magnifying glass taking the sun and burning out the center of your retina. So that's not fun. So don't do that. And uh, stop assuming you have a full lifetime to do whatever you dream of doing. This is a link about a guy who worked down at Moffett Field, I believe, or maybe his wife did, right here in the Bay Area. And he just woke up and went to the doctor and found out he had stage four cancer and uh, he could have very little time to live. So stop assuming you have a full lifetime to do whatever you dream of doing. As he mentions, it sounds a little cliche, but you have to be reminded of this. You have to be reminded to just go do it tomorrow uh, because there might not be a day after. And the aphorism for this week, I am not afraid of tomorrow for I have seen yesterday and I love today. I'm not afraid of tomorrow, for I have seen yesterday and I love today by William Allen White. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. All right. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.